From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, coming up on this Thursday edition, President Biden and the Democrats still refuse to negotiate with Republicans on the government overspending and the debt ceiling. Instead, they're working overtime to paint Republicans as the problem. Instead of taking default off the table, Speaker McCarthy is taking default hostage. The strategy of the hard right remains our way or the highway. That was Senate scare leader Chuck Schumer. I'm encouraged to say that Republicans are not scaring easily. They are resolute in reining in federal overspending. We're going to talk in just a moment with Nebraska Senator Pete Ricketts. And what will happen at the southern border tonight? Tonight at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, the pandemic-era Title 42 public health order will end. We are clear-eyed about the challenges we are likely to face in the days and weeks ahead, and we are ready to meet them. Well, that's something new. That was Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas. Uh, On Tuesday, President Biden, in a moment of candor, said the border would be, quote, chaotic for a while. Well, it's actually been chaotic for two years. We're going to be joined by the former Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, who's actually on the southern border. He's going to be with us later here on Washington Watch. The revelations yesterday from the House Oversight and Accountability Committee about a sophisticated network of corporations intending to hide foreign payments, including from China, to members of the Biden family, are stunning. President Biden has claimed since the 2020 election that his family has not received money from China. That was a lie in 2020, and he continues to lie to the American people now. That was Chairman James Comer yesterday. We'll take a closer look at the report from the Oversight Committee with Texas Congressman Pat Fallon, who is a member of the Oversight Committee. And last night, former President Donald Trump held a town hall meeting with CNN in New Hampshire. He was asked about the issue of the sanctity of human life. Now, other national leaders have been running away from the issue. He ran to it. Remember this. Again, you talk about radicalism. People that will kill a baby in the ninth month or the eighth month or the seventh month or after the baby is born, they're the radicals, not the pro I just want to give you... I'll be joined by South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham a little bit later here on Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from Ezra, chapter 1, verse 7. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Now, what do you think about this for a moment? These sanctified vessels were carried by Nebuchadnezzar all the way back to Babylon to be put into his, the temple of his gods, where they were either stored, used, or profaned. In Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar, the night Babylon was conquered, held a beer bash and had the vessels brought out from the temple and used for toast to the gods of gold and silver. And then, of course, came that handwriting on the wall, saying it was all over. Although profaned by the world, these precious precious vessels that had been set apart for the Lord were preserved by God, and when the time was right, they were restored to his service. You know, that's a beautiful illustration of what God can and will do in our lives. To join us in our daily Bible reading program, go to TonyPerkins.com. Despite refusing to negotiate on the debt ceiling and budget reductions, President Biden insists it's Republicans who are holding the economy hostage. Here's what the president said earlier today in the Rose Garden. The extreme MAGA Republicans have taken control of the House of Representatives, and they're holding our economy hostage by threatening to default on our national debt, a debt we've already incurred over 200 years unless we've given to the threats and their demands. Joining me now to discuss this is Senator Pete Ricketts of Nebraska. He serves on the Senate Committee on the Environment and Public Works and the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. Senator Ricketts, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you very much for having me on. And it really is rich hearing President Biden talk about how uh, Republicans are holding up the economy when the House has passed a responsible bill that controls our spending and also raises the debt limit. They've done their job. Now it's up to the president to do his job and come to the table and start negotiating. I, I know he did not fail Civics 101. He knows how this is supposed to work. 
Well, I want to ask you about that, Senator, because you're fresh from being a governor, an executive of the state of Nebraska. The legislature passed a budget. You didn't like it. You couldn't just walk away and say, hey, you're, it, it's, uh, it's your fault. Didn't it, does, not, does it not require that the two entities sit down and come to a solution? Yeah, absolutely. As governor, I proposed a budget, but it was just a proposal. The legislative branch is the one that actually in our system of checks and balances has the responsibility of passing a budget. Now, in Nebraska, they generally did about 95% of my recommendations, but it wasn't universal. And that's when I had to negotiate with the, the legislature with regard to what we would be spending money on. And this is no different for the president. He knows he needs to step up and negotiate. This is part of his role as president. He owns it. The buck stops with him. He needs to come and negotiate. This is not new. Seven out of the last 10 times that this has happened, the executive branch has had to negotiate with the legislative branch. President Trump negotiated with Nancy Pelosi when she wanted more spending. Now, we actually want something that is more reasonable. We want to control spending. I mean, our spending since 2019 is up 54%. Our population is only up 1.8%. American family knows at the end of the day, you have to live within your means and nobody wants to default on the debt. The president has to quit dodging this and show some leadership for a change and actually step up and negotiate. Now, Senator, um, I was talking about this yesterday, but I, I think the Democrats kind of think this is status quo, that the Republicans will cave on this because they have in, in years past. But there's something different this time. You have conservatives in the House. You have a speaker that's resolute on this. And you're one of, uh, I think, like 43 Republicans who have signed a letter saying, hey, Mr. President, uh, you're going to have to negotiate with the speaker because we're standing with the House. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the accomplishment that Speaker McCarthy did. He got Republicans, House Republicans, to vote on a budget and raise the debt limit. Many of these folks had never voted to raise the debt limit. And so he's done his job. And what Senate Republicans are saying is, we support Speaker McCarthy and the budget that he has put forward. It's time to negotiate. And by having 43 signatures on that letter, plus a couple of other people I know that won't vote to raise the debt limit without some of these uh, reforms or spending controls or whatever you want to call them in the budget uh, that we're trying to get control of, the president can't get to cloture on a clean debt bill. And so that means he is going to have to negotiate. That's what that letter said. It's so important that we as Senate Republicans stand behind the House Republicans, and that's what we're doing. So, Senator, let me ask you a couple of questions. The president, uh, even the, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on the floor today, saying Republicans want to cut spending for veterans, they want to cut law enforcement. The, the president today saying they want to cut funding to firefighters during the, the height of uh, wildfire season. Speak to that issue. Yeah, I mean... Let's go back and to talk about what they mean by cutting spending. They mean slowing spending down. Again, I already said that our spending overall is up 54% when it comes to uh, 2019 versus 2019. Our population is only up 1.8%. Non-defense discretionary spending is up 40%. What the House did is eminently reasonable. They started with 2022 levels and said we're only going to grow 1%. So that's still growing. It's just at a slowed rate. So they're basically scaremongering without they're saying we're going to cut all this stuff. It's not the case at all. We're starting with 2022 and saying we're slowing the growth. Let, let me go back to that 54 percent number. Where'd that money go? Well, some of that money was the money that came into some of the pandemic response stuff. You know, for example, the American Rescue Plan Act had, I think, one point nine trillion dollars in it. But, but uh, wasn't that one time money? Wasn't that just one time expenditures? And that's part of the problem. When you spend money at the government, once you put money in the budget, it's very difficult to take back out because then people think you should keep spending that money. And that's part of what Speaker McCarthy is saying. It's, hey, we got to slow down this growth. This is what he's put forward is very reasonable. You know, uh, starting at 2022 and say we're just going to grow a little bit. That is something that everybody should be able to get on board with because it is so reasonable. So, so that number, uh, 2020, I mean, that's, that's after we, we saw some increase in government spending. So it's not, this is not totally pre-pandemic. Oh, this is not pre-pandemic numbers. This is 2022. This is not very long ago. And that's the whole thing. The Democrats are trying to make it seem like the sky is falling. It's like, guys, this was just last year. This is just what you lived with last year. Give me a break. We're just going a little bit more than that.
What happens if we continue on this path of uncontrolled spending? Well, what you see is happening in other countries when they continue this path of uncontrolled spending. At some point, you can't borrow money anymore. And then what has happened in the past is that other countries will come in and restructure your debt. They'll do some loan forgiveness. They'll uh, basically restructure the terms and kind of bail you out. The problem is when the United States of America does that, who's going to do that for us? Do you think we can rely on the People's Republic of China to do that? They're not doing it for anybody else. Why would they do it for us? Uh, this is this would be a very dangerous situation to get into is if we could not pay our bills anymore because we ran up our credit card too far, which is exactly why we've got to start controlling our spending now. You, you mentioned these foreign countries because actually some of these foreign countries like China, Japan, others actually hold our debt right now. And, and, and that provides them some leverage. I mean, the Bible talks about the borrower being servant to the, to the lender. Yeah, absolutely. And we know, for example, that the Chinese Communist Party and the People's Republic of China are adversaries of ours. They, uh, President Xi Jinping wants to be the world-dominating power by 2049. And if he has, has any leverage on us, he is going to use it. And that's why we really, again, cannot allow ourselves to continue to run this level of debt and have it be held by you know people like the People's Republic of China. Uh, Senator, uh, just got about two minutes left. I want to switch gears very quickly to the issue of immigration. Title 42 restrictions lifted to, tonight at midnight. Uh, you were the governor of Nebraska. This issue of immigration is not just an issue for states on the southern border. This affects almost every state in the nation. Absolutely. Every state is a border state. That's been a refrain of my colleagues and I for a long time, because what crosses the border, whether it's, uh, you know, people that are coming here illegally, whether it's criminals, whether it's drugs, they don't stay there. And for example, we see, have seen a huge increase in the number of drugs that have been coming to Nebraska. In fact, uh, fentanyl is the leading cause of death of Americans 18 to 45 in this country. Over 70,000 Americans died from that in 2021. And yet the Biden administration is doing nothing. In uh, 2019, Nebraska law enforcement confiscated 46 fentanyl pills, just 46. Just three years later, that number had gone to 151,000 pills because of the president's policies to open up the border to allow anything to flow across without any real checks. So that is what's happening because of the president's terrible policies. We see fentanyl coming into our country, killing our young people like Taryn Lee Griffith, who was a single mom of two from Nebraska, who took one of these counterfeit pills laced with fentanyl and died from it. That's what the president is allowing by not securing our border. Well, uh, it is amazing the, the mess this administration has, uh, has made. Senator Ricketts, uh, good to see you. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. All right. As always, look forward to seeing you again soon. All right. Coming up next, um, we're going to take a look yesterday at the report from the Oversight and Accountability Committee into the Biden family's elaborate structure of corporations that was hiding, it, it appears to be, hiding payments from foreign governments or from foreign entities that looks like influence peddling. Uh, we're going to talk with uh, Congressman Pat Fallon. He's going to look at this report and dissect it for us next here on Washington Watch. This is shocking. Don't go away. Back after this. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace the their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. 
Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be disciples their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, and the website is TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and check it out. Yesterday, the FBI refused a subpoena from the House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer for material that could expose criminal activity from President Biden's time as vice president. You have to ask the question, what is so sensitive in the documents that the FBI would reject a congressional subpoena? I hope at some point we'll find out. Also yesterday, Chairman Comer announced that relatives and business associates of President Biden established an elaborate web of corporations that received more than $10 million from foreign nationals, including those with connections to the Communist Party in China. Now, the Biden family appears to have taken steps to conceal both the source and the total amount received from these foreign nationals. Joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Pat Fallon. He serves on the House Committee of o- on Oversight and Accountability, as well as the House Armed Services Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Fallon, welcome back to the program. Tony, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Good to see you. All right. I, I watched the uh, the press conference yesterday. You were standing right there behind the chairman. Um, th- this is shocking. T- tell us what you have uncovered here. Well, you know, Tony, every time we uncover one stone, we find two more stones that need uncovering, first of all. So what we found for a bit of background for your viewers is the Biden family, really, it's a syndicate. If you're doing honest business, one, first and foremost, we'll know what your business offers, what service or product it provides. We still don't know what Hunter Biden and the Biden family ever provided anyone. And then when you have uh, payments to you, they're made to your company, not to 20 different companies. Uh, these LLCs, the majority of which were fun, uh, were founded and formed while Joe Biden was vice president. So what we found were several things. One, the Chinese, so Chinese nationals that had tight and close ties to the Chinese Communist Party wouldn't pay Biden directly, Hunter Biden. They'd pay Hunter Biden's associates through shell companies that the Chinese nationals created to create a, a barriers and layers, if you will, between the Communist China, the Communist Party of China and Hunter Biden. And it was to the tune of a total of all of the things that we could find is $10 million. But Tony, in context, we've only subpoenaed bank records uh, for four of the 12 banks we believe the Biden family was involved with, and only through some of their known associates. We have not subpoenaed Joe or Hunter Biden's bank records yet because they'll just lawyer up. And their whole job uh, admission is to put this off until November of 2024. So you think there's more out there? 
I think there's a lot more. Quite frankly, Tony, from what I've seen and read, I think this is the tip of the iceberg. It's $10 million. They, you know, just a few months ago, we could only confirm a million dollars. But here's another interesting thing. Like this uh, Romanian national that paid the Biden family uh, over a million dollars. They didn't just cut the check for a million dollars to one entity. It was always through these, as I said before, these layered companies. But then they would give the Bidens the money in smaller tranches uh, of 10, dozen, two dozen, scores of small payments. And it was up to nine Biden family members, a granddaughter, a niece and a nephew, a daughter-in-law, Hunter Biden's ex-wife, Hunter Biden's current wife, and Hunter Biden's mistress. So uh, it just doesn't make sense. And it certainly doesn't pass the smell test, considering also you have, from what we know, 170 suspicious activity reports that were generated by financial institutions, which they have to by law when they suspect fraud or money laundering. That, how, how rare are those? I mean, the average person, how many times would you have a suspicious activity report regarding your banking practices? Probably, and that's a great question, Jody. The average person probably never. And if you, like uh, when I was in uh, business and uh, as an entrepreneur, I did some business with, you know, international business. I don't believe there was ever an SAR generated on me, but it could be one or two, or, you know, something odd. But 170, I mean, this is getting absurd. And the mainstream media will not cover this and they won't do any investigative reporting. So you, there, there's no record anywhere of services or anything provided for these payments? We, we can't find it. And the Bidens won't come out. If the Bidens didn't do anything wrong, if Joe Biden was really clean, Number one, Tony, he wouldn't have lied in 2019 when he was running for president and said that he never met any of Hunter Biden's business associates, nor did he even know what Hunter Biden was up to. We know that to be categorically false, number one. But if you didn't do anything wrong, then release your bank records voluntarily and say, heck, I didn't do anything wrong. Here you go. And Hunter should do the same. But they refuse to. In fact, they do the exact opposite of that. Now, these funds came from foreign nationals. Any of it directly from foreign governments? No, they were always smart. You know, it was like I said yesterday, they're smart enough not to be that stupid. Uh, and there were all these individuals acting at, on the behest. That's how the, the, the Chinese Communist Party, Party works, though. They've got their, um, you know, their underlings out there influencing business, influencing public opinion, influencing politics, influencing Hollywood elites. And they call them friends of China. And there's a big giant list of it out there and it includes all sorts of different people. And obviously, the Bidens, I believe, are, are, are on that list. So let's go to this uh, this form that was subpoenaed, uh, this whistleblower form that the FBI has refused to uh, release to the committee based on this subpoena. Where does it fit into this whole elaborate scheme that uh, it appears you've uncovered? Well, what we also have, Tony, is whistleblowers. And whistleblowers need that whistleblower protection. We had one come out. Few months, uh, a few months back, that was a supervisory, a senior supervisory special agent that claimed that the Treasury Department was protecting Hunter Biden. Highly credible. And then Senator Grassley had a highly credible source that said that there was a what they call an FD 1023. That's when the FBI interviews you. It's unverified information. But this whistleblower said, I, I went and talked to them and, and they have this report. And so when we asked for it, I was really, really angry yesterday when I found out that they refused to release it. If it's nothing there and it's not credible, then release it. And if it's highly credible, what have you been doing sitting on it for all this time? Good question. They, it was Tony it was filed in 2020. Really good question. Uh, we're, we're up against a break going on here. But uh, Congressman Fallon, I just want to ask you a question based on what you have seen with your own eyes. Do you believe there has been criminal activity here? Absolutely, 100%. I think, Tony, you could liken this to Watergate. Uh, the more we investigate, the more we find. But, you know, Watergate was the, the for the state. Watergate was the press. They refused to do this, yeah. so the Oversight Committee has to do it ourselves. And in the process, the uh, the, the media wants to, uh, to demonize you and marginalize what you are uh, bringing forth. Uh, Congressman Fallon, always welcome here. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thanks, Tony. God bless you. Take care. All right. Have a great day. All right, folks. uh, Yesterday, yesterday evening, actually, uh, former President Donald Trump went on CNN for a town hall meeting. And far from running from the issue of the sanctity of human life, he ran to it. 
We're going to talk with Lindsey Graham, senator from South Carolina, next. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Thursday. Well, last night was a perfect illustration of how Republicans should go on offense in advancing the sanctity of human life. Former President Donald Trump appeared last night at a town hall meeting hosted by CNN, where he made clear that it is the left, it is the left's position on abortion that is radical for supporting the killing of unborn babies through the ninth month. Remember this, again, you talk about radicalism. People that will kill a baby in the ninth month or the eighth month or the seventh month or after the baby is born, they're the radicals, not the pro-life I just want to give you... It's no secret. The Democrats' position on abortion is up until the birth of the baby. That's what's extreme. And, And they want you to pay for it. Well, join me now by phone to discuss this is Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Judiciary Committee, where he is the ranking member. Senator Graham, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks, Tony, very much. Well, you and I were together just a few days ago with uh, former President Trump to discuss this issue of the sanctity of human life. We came away from that meeting with uh, the, the view that his position is unchanged. He articulated that last night. Your thoughts? Well, number one, it was a great meeting with President Trump. Uh, you know, he he was very engaged. He understood the issue. And uh, from my point of view, I've been up here for a while. He was the most consequential pro-life president since I've been in politics. I think ever for the nation. Three Supreme Court justices that paved the way for overturning Roe. Mexico City, we could go on and on and on. When it came to the pro-life movement, President Trump was there in a historic fashion. What did we do at the meeting? We talked to him about the future of the pro-life movement. I can tell you, you got two things going for you if you're a pro-lifer with Donald Trump. He's not afraid to take on the left. Too many of our people run away when they get asked about abortion. They want to talk about building a wall. What did Donald Trump do last night? He took on the left by saying, you're a radical. You want to kill a baby? Late-term abortions are radical. Uh, That's not who America is. And he said that Dobbs is just not about states' rights. I am confident that Donald Trump is the best spokesman to label the abortion-on-demand, taxpayer-funded, radical Democratic Party on the abortion issue, that he can do a better job than anybody of calling them out. And when it comes to Washington, D.C., being there for the unborn – 
during a Trump presidency, I feel incredibly comfortable that President Trump sees late-term abortion is out of the mainstream of America, and he'll be there for the pro-life movement in Washington. Now, now, Senator, you've been on the program talking about this. You jumped in the middle of this during the midterm when many Republicans were running from the issue post-Dobbs. You, <laughs> yeah. you embraced it. You ran to it. So did President Trump last night. Is there anything <clears throat> that you would change in the way President Trump addressed it last night? Well, I think what he's trying to do is, is you know, when we talk to him, he's the first Republican, you know, really to understand that they're the extremists, not us. Right. Seventy percent of Americans will limit abortion on demand after the first trimester. That, that's, that's when that's, of 50 European nations right. limit and, abortion from 12 to 15 weeks. So, the so, Democratic position is up to the moment of birth. And the president Here's articulated would, that. You've yeah, talked sorry, about that. This is when a child feels pain in the womb, when, it, when a baby, you see those pictures of a baby sucking its thumb. You, right. you have almost 70 percent of Americans say, all right, that, that, that we should at least draw the line there. We're, we're working toward consensus. Is that not what this is about? Yes. What I'm talking about is states can act any way they would like. They, they can be stronger. Moment. They can be stronger. Yeah. They, yeah, you can have more restrictive abortion laws, but at 15 weeks, my bill says we draw the line as a nation. A baby conceived in California feels pain at 15 weeks. Right. They suck their thumb at 15 weeks. From a national point of view, I want a minimum standard to make us like the civilized world, not North Korea and China. I am confident that not only most Americans feel that way, President Trump feels that way. We can win the issue. In Washington, let's have a national minimum standard. States can do more if they would like, but at 15 weeks, we draw the line. We stop the dismemberment of babies uh, in these really deep blue states. If Europe can do it, we can do it. So, so Senator, would you recommend that uh, other candidates, other Republicans, follow the lead of Donald Trump and, and take the fight <laughs> to the left? If you want to win, I would recommend – you embrace the pro-life movement as a benefit to your campaign. Yeah. The pro-life movement knocks on doors. They make phone calls. They pray. They give to the Republican Party. The pro-life movement is one of the anchor tenets of conservatism. What are we asking America to do? Reject abortion on demand up to the moment of birth using taxpayer dollars. If you can't muster the courage to say that, then you're in the wrong business. Donald Trump went on the offense last night. I am begging people to go on offense when it comes to the unborn. The public is with us on this issue in Washington. The public is with us. They do not – they will reject the Democratic Party's position if they know about it. And the only way they're going to know about it is if Republicans have the guts to talk about it. That's the key. So, yes. That's the key. Donald Trump showed us how to win. Put them on the defense for their radical position. That's exactly what he did. Senator Lindsey Graham, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us Thanks. today. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. All right. <clears throat> By the way, the RNC has been leading the way on this as well. And I'm going to talk about that very quickly on the other side of the break because Ronna McDaniel um, doing a great job leading the party on the life issue. And, and you need to encourage her. All right, folks, don't go away. More Washington Watch on the other side of the break. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first, just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org. 
Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded communities. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories, and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged. Be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. All right, as I was mentioning going uh, out of that last segment, the, uh, the RNC, under the leadership of the chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel, has been outspoken about the need for conservative candidates to unapologetically embrace pro-life messaging ahead of the 2024 election cycle. And not just the messaging, but the policies. And I've worked with her, just as I've worked with uh, former President Trump. And, and She's really been leading the way, and in, in, in I've been in meetings where she's challenged other elected officials that they need to stand firm on the life issue. And so we have a petition to thank her for her strong stand for life. Now, I, I don't hesitate, when necessary, to call people out, elected leaders and other leaders, and, and ask you to, to weigh in and push them in the right direction. But we often have individuals that do the right thing, and we need to encourage them when they do that. And I know some people not big fans of the RNC. Um, you know, I, I'm not necessarily, although under her leadership, they've been doing the right things in the last year, and they're moving us to where we need to be going. And so I'm going to ask you to sign a petition thanking her, and I'm going to take them to her uh, in a couple of weeks. Just text RNC, RNC to 67742. That's 67742, the, the letters R-N-C. And you'll get a link, and you can sign the petition, all right? Or you can go to frcaction.org slash for life. Easy thing. Just text RNC to 67742. Okay. With Title 42 set to expire tonight, communities throughout the country, the country, are preparing for an onslaught of illegal migrants, with as many as 13,000 people a day expected to cross the U.S.-Mexico border. Now, the, the Biden administration claims it has a plan to manage the chaos. Tonight at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, the pandemic-era Title 42 public health order will end. We are clear-eyed about the challenges we are likely to face in the days and weeks ahead, and we are ready to meet them. You know, that was Biden's Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. I, I hear what they say, but I don't see it. I mean, is this chaos of their own making? And, and are they really, are they really ready to face it? Joining me now from the southern border near El Paso is Chad Wolf. He is the former acting secretary for the Department of Homeland Security and now chairman for the Center of Homeland Security and Immigration at America First Policy Institute. Chad, welcome back to uh, Washington Watch. Good to see you. Well, thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me back. Now, you've spent the past few days at the border 
what are you seeing in hearing? Does it look like uh, the, uh, the, the Biden administration is ready for what is happening? Oh, well, I think the short answer is no. Uh, just a, let me comment on, on what the secretary is saying there. I think uh, it's important for folks to remember that this is a crisis that didn't need to occur. This is a crisis not because of a lack of resources or a lack of authorities. This is a crisis because of bad policies that were put in place almost two years ago. And so they could change this crisis and they could help solve this crisis today if they wanted to by implementing some certain certain policies. They don't want to do that. And so they will continue to tell you that they have a plan and that they're executing on this plan. Uh, But it doesn't seem to be working. Uh, You know, for 27 months now, it hasn't worked. And so I'm not sure that what they're doing here recently is going to work either. Um, Instead, what we see is astronomically in record-breaking numbers month over month over month. And here in El Paso, we saw thousands of folks here earlier in the week uh, on city streets uh, because they are doing mass releases into the streets. They have no more capacity at CBP centers or in shelters. And so if this is their plan that they've been executing on for two years, I, you know, God help us because I'm not, I'm not sure that this is going to be successful at the end of the day. You, you said it's not a lack of, of resources. I want to play another clip from uh, the secretary and get you to comment on it. This is a clip he made earlier today at the White House, clip number 12. The fundamental reason why we have a challenge at our border, and we've had this challenge many a time before, is because we are working within the constraints of a broken, a fundamentally broken immigration system, and we also are operating on resources that are far less than those that we need and that we've requested. Your response? Well, the resources are far less than than what they need because they've created a crisis that now they're having to house and care for hundreds of thousands, even millions of migrants that should not be here. So he he can claim that he doesn't have enough resources, but the cause of that are the policies that they created. So they're basically, what they're telling the American people is, I've created this crisis, and now you're not giving me the resources to solve the crisis. It's, it's crazy logic. And this idea that only Congress can solve this issue is, again, not true. We, we demonstrated this in the Trump administration without any congressional help. We brought that order, some security to that border, and some order to the chaos. And so it can be done. There's enough authorities that the secretary, that the president have today to address this crisis. It takes hard decisions. It takes some leadership. Um, and I don't see that coming either from the president or the secretary. And so they're going to shift blame. They're going to blame Republicans. They're going to blame the Trump administration. They're going to blame seasonality trends. They're going to blame, you know, countries to the south of them. They're going to blame everyone but themselves. And it's been like this, unfortunately, for two years. And I don't see it changing. You know, I, I want to ask you about that, Chad, because I was at the border uh, in 20. 20- uh, right before 2020, right? I think it was in uh, the, the early spring of, of 2020. Um, and this was after the policy of remain in Mexico had been put in place. Now, I had been there twice. I'd been there prior to that, and, and it was pretty chaotic at the border. A lot of people coming across. But it was almost like a ghost town when, when I went there uh, when the remain in Mexico policy had been put in place. Uh, the Biden administration changed a lot of the policies that had been put in place by the Trump administration that were working. Well, 100 uh, percent. Not only they were working. Look, during the four years of the Trump administration, I'm not going to say that we got it right every day. Uh, but over the course of about two and a half years, three years, we figured out what worked. And it's this combination of not only deterring illegal behavior and holding people accountable, But it's also making sure that we get those individuals who need protections under our asylum laws, the protections that they need quickly while rooting out that fraud. It's what Remain in Mexico was all about. It's what our asylum cooperative agreements were all about. It's what our asylum transit ban rulemaking was about. All of that went away almost on on month one of the Biden administration. So they spent two years admiring the problem. It's funny when you hear them talk about it. It's almost as though they're a bystander to what's going on, saying that it will be chaotic, um, that they have. But it it doesn't have to be chaotic. You know, they're not they're not fans in the stand. They're players on the field. They get to control some of this. The the cartels don't get to control this entire crisis. And so 
you know, it, that's the frustrating part. There are ways to solve this crisis and bring it to a conclusion. Instead, I, I think this administration simply wants to continue to manage it and not solve it. All right, uh, Chad, I, I, I want to go a little bit beyond the border because, you know, some people say, oh, all right, OK, so the border is a problem. It's chaotic. Uh, this is a political issue. We hear this, uh, you know, between back and forth between the two parties. But you were secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. So your responsibility was not just the border. That was just one little piece of your responsibility as secretary of Homeland Security. But I want you to speak to why, you know, someone, you know, that's in Tennessee, the middle of the country, not a border state, how this has become a problem for every American in every American city. Well, absolutely. What crosses the border here in El Paso or in Brownsville or Del Rio or elsewhere, whether it's the human trafficking, it's the illegal narcotics, it's a fentanyl crisis. It doesn't stay here in South Texas or Southern Arizona or Southern California. It goes to every community across this country. And so you only have to look at the fentanyl deaths uh, in every state and most communities, unfortunately. And we also see this with the human trafficking. Again, the images that you showed, the thousands of individuals that we see on the st- we saw on the streets of El Paso earlier this week are no longer there, right? And why is that? Because El Paso is a transit hub. Uh, it's a way station of sorts. They don't want to reside here. They all want to go to other communities in the United States. And so that's where they are today. They're no longer in El Paso. You'll have more coming into El Paso for sure. But the folks here earlier this week are no longer here because they're in your communities. There are communities all across this country. And so what's the negative impact? And, and negative who, are impact? Those, who are those people? Yeah. So it's who, folks that have come across the, the border illegally uh, that are either claiming asylum, they're gotaways who have showed up, they're trying to get into immigration court proceedings. They want that notice to appear. And why do they want it? Because if they, they get into Title Eight proceedings and they get that notice to appear, well, then guess what? They get a work permit about four to five months later. And that's what they want at the end of the day. They want to come here. They're abusing our system. They're abusing the asylum system because they want to work. And and I don't begrudge them that. They want a better life, but there's a legal way to do that. The administration knows this. DHS knows this. They have all the stats and figures, some of which I've mentioned here. Uh, but they just don't want to solve this crisis. But it does affect every community in this country. It's not just those that are wanting to come across and work and and send money back and resources and take care of their family. Uh, Intermingled in these individuals coming across are some bad actors. I mean, you caught some of them. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, we continue to see known or suspected terrorists show up at the southern border. And those are just the ones that we catch. I was on the ground with Texas uh, Department of Public Safety, DPS here, and they are saying that they are seeing more and more stash houses. Uh, Airbnbs used as stash houses, hotels being used as stash houses, gang members being embedded in this flow that are now camped out at some of these shelters. Um, and they're seeing them operate openly inside the United States. So there are some bad individuals. There is no doubt. And I think if you talk to Border Patrol agents, that's what concerns them the most is, is this national security and public safety threats that they see. Under this administration, the Border Patrol has been turned into a humanitarian service, and that is not their mission given to them by Congress. It is to stand on the line and protect the country from bad individuals and bad things coming into this country. They are not designed to be a humanitarian service. Speaking of the humanitarian side of this, you you made reference to the human trafficking. Speak to that and, and how significant of a problem that is and what we're actually talking about. I mean, I, I know that we want to be guarded in what we say, but I think people need to know what, how, how, how people are being exploited at that southern border because of our failure to secure it. Well, absolutely. I think any individual that wants to come across that southern border, or they're paying cartels uh, a, a pretty significant amount of money, depending on where you come from in the world. Um, and they, that is a, a very dangerous journey. It's abusive. The cartels don't care about human life. They care about profit. And so they could be trafficking you from Central America. And they get you all the way to, to northern Mexico. And guess what? They have you in a stash house in northern Mexico. And then they say that's going to be another $20,000 to cross the border. And at that point, you've come so far. If you're one of these migrants, you then say, OK, well, what do I have to do? I don't have that money, of course. And so then you you get in the United States and then you have to work off your debt to these cartel members. So 
the, the type of damage, the inhumane nature of what the Biden administration has put these individuals through over the last several years is unspeakable. And so it's why we see more deaths in the desert and along that river than we have ever seen before. We have over 365,000 children that have come across that border in two years unaccompanied that have no parents, that have no guardians, that, be, that are being trafficked into this country and then, and then paired with a sponsor. We have no idea where these children go. New York Times has said that the Biden administration has lost 85,000 children. And so the humanitarian toll on all of this sometimes gets lost, but it's a big issue and it's what Border Patrol agents see every day. How is the media treating the border issue now compared to when the Trump administration was in place? Oh, well, Tony, you know, I, I guess I don't have to tell you it's night and day, right? Other than one or two channels, one or two outlets, maybe a handful, uh, the mainstream media is not is not covering this, right? Uh, they don't they don't tell you the truth. They don't give you all the facts. Uh, they say, well, it's a, it's a problem that that can be managed. This this administration, along with the media, the worst thing for them are some of the images that you are showing. Um, they are trying to do their very best to process more and more individuals into the country. And the media will want you to all believe that these are all women and children coming across the border. And that's just not true. I was in El Paso, uh, down on the streets of El Paso uh, earlier this week. And I would say 90 to 95 percent of the individuals I saw were all male, single adult male, military age males coming across that border in record numbers. And so the flow is continuing to change. Uh, and it's, it's very important that we put policies in place that address this. Um, it's not just a humanitarian crisis. It's also a security crisis. Yeah. Uh, very quickly, we're up against the end of the program. But you, you, you pointed out earlier that it took the, administ the Trump administration a couple years to figure this out. Do you think this can be fixed with the right policies? Can this be turned around? Well, it can be, sure. Uh, we were able to do that uh, during the Trump administration. So we left them a playbook uh, when we were transitioning. Um, and so all the policies are there. All the programs are there. The procedures are there. Here's what you have to do. Uh, they have not been using that for two years. I, you know, I say that if they decided to change course tomorrow and start implementing some strategic policy changes, you can see some noticeable differences along this border in as, as little as 60 to 90 days. Wow. Uh, but you've got to be willing to do that. Right. Uh, and I don't see that, that, that will or that leadership coming. So they have the way. It's the will that's in uh, question. Chad Wolf, always great to see you. Thanks so much for taking time to, uh, to join us there from Al Paso. All right. Thank you. All right. That was uh, former Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf in El Paso, Texas, where he's been on the border this week. Folks, thanks for joining us. We're out of time, unfortunately. And until next time, let me leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.